This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. All right, here we go. It is Brock and Salt Show on Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. And the Seattle Sports app, plus all those podcast platforms out there. Thanks for being with us this morning. We have a a new lead-in, so if you uh, are driving around in the morning, you'll uh, get to hear the new show on ESPN Radio with uh, a couple of old friends of mine, Evan Cohen, who's a very interesting dude, and Michelle Smallman, who is great. She's out of St. Louis, and uh, Chris Canty, who's a lot of fun. Got a chance to listen to that a little bit on my way in this morning, so uh, that'll be our, our new lead-in here. Uh, nice to see ESPN Radio hiring radio people to do radio, so uh, nice job by them. It's amazing how it works when you do that. Um, let's see. Today's the day after Labor Day. We were in yesterday, so uh, there is uh, some stuff to react to from yesterday as well. Sorry if you were uh, busy, you know, living your Labor Day life and traveling or whatever it is people do, sleeping later than maybe we're on the air. I wouldn't blame you if you were doing that. Some great pilot light content. Well, there'll be more of that, I promise. The pilot light's (laughs) not going anywhere. Maura made the huge mistake yesterday of playing for me Jonathan Gannon's. um, He's the head coach in Arizona kind of lame head coach in Arizona who you may remember came on like we first were introduced to him when he met some of the players on his team started going pew 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 like a crazy <laughs> psychopath but uh he's they they are for whatever reason I, honestly look I don't truly understand what's going on there they have they're tanking right the cardinals are tanking everybody knows they're tanking they know they're tanking. They've traded every potential player they have on their team. They're tanking. They want the kid out of USA. Okay, fine. They brought in a coach to help them tank, who clearly is not an NFL head coach. And now they're broadcasting all of that to us, giving us a behind the scenes. What's it called? Time to fly? The Cardinals flight plan. Cardinals flight plan. I just don't understand it at all, but that is uh, that is what's happening. And so we got a little look in. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll play some of that coming up at 645, just so you're not behind. I don't want anybody to be behind. <laughs> like, it's too good for you to miss this. So we'll uh, we'll do some of that coming up at 645. You know how much I love uh, walking in in the morning and seeing some of the late night texts that come in, many of which are uh, Mariner related. Some nice reaction to the game yesterday, which was suboptimal for sure. Uh, Those are very logical, rational. Well, there's a little combination of both. Okay. Okay. Actually, one says suboptimal. 425 says suboptimal, but we went on the run we did in August to afford to stumble a bit in September. Good point. Now, I think the, the, the other side of that is... Yeah, you're sort of assuming you might stumble a little bit against the Dodgers. Or the, yeah. And, right, like some of the teams that you're going to be playing coming up, Houston, Texas, right? You know that you've got some difficult, challenging games ahead of you. I don't think the plan was to stumble against the Mets and then the Reds. And it's not that the Reds aren't to. I mean, they're also in a chase right now, right? But they're, they're, not, they're not the Rays. They're a 500 team, and you know you've got the Rays and the Dodgers, Dodgers and the Astros and the Rangers. And the Rangers. Yeah. Like, this is, you know, you'd really like to win these games, and well, this is not where you expect the stumble to be. And, it's yeah, it's one thing if you came out a little differently, but, like, Wu was just off from Oof, the start. It ugly. Was, yeah, not good. Text message from the 425, cooling off at the wrong time. Yeah, I don't know about that. This actually might be the right time. 
right? I mean, it was unexpected to lose a few of these games to the Mets and maybe even to the Reds. We'll see where this series goes. They still have two more games in it. Um, but you'd rather cool off a little bit now than get a second wind and then go on your run once you start playing Houston and Texas, which is truly what is going to, you know, decide who wins the AL West. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I don't look, I'm not happy with them cooling off. Obviously it'd be great for them to continue on the pace they had in, in August. That wasn't going to happen. We all knew it wasn't going to happen. That doesn't mean they've suddenly become a bad team, but we knew there was going to be another downturn. A, that they couldn't withstand that, and B, that there was going to be another rough moment or two. I was curious to see who would panic and who won't. I'm not panicking because they've lost three of four. I think there are some concerning elements to it, and we're going to talk through those over the course of today, but I am not panicked yet. Then we have this one. I can't wait for Salk to defend Julio tomorrow. The kid had a hot streak, broke records, and crushed it. Fan bleepantastic. But is that what you want, bud? You want a streaky dude to not show up at the end? Sure, he helped us get to where we are, but now what? What if he goes cold and can't manage an at-bat? I'll imagine Salk will be too scared to approach this question. Maybe the Heward will have answers in a very roundabout way. But surely you all have to be a little skeptical of the outcome. I don't know, man. What? I'm not. I'm not. Are we I, watching the same play? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, no, we don't. <laughs> not at all. Mora, are you going to play the role of the Heward? <laughs> the well, it says the Heward threes. No, no he because he wants someone to be skeptical that Julio's not good enough, right? I'm not going to play that role. Yeah, I. <sighs> I mean, he, he okay. He didn't come up big in a couple opportunities yesterday. That's the that's all he needs to see, or where's all where's the rest of it? I don't know who the heck knows. Uh, I'm not. I mean, the, <laughs> I'll read your text because <clears throat> I'm happy to have that uh, that position thrown out there. But I think throwing it out would probably be the best one. Look, I, I didn't love Julio's at bats in either of those two spots. Right, those weren't great. I don't believe in clutch maybe the same way that Jerry and some others do in baseball. I think there's something to it, but I don't put a ton of stock into it. I think that over time, <clears throat> good players will come up big in big moments. Mm-hmm. I think there are some guys that that have that clutch gene, and I think there are some guys that don't. But for the most part, I think everybody else, like to me, that's the 5% outlier at the top, the 5%, maybe 10% outlier at the bottom, and everybody else kind of is who they are. And they come up big when they come up. You know what I mean? It just sort of is similar to the rest of their game. My guess is that Julio is probably going to be somewhere in the middle. That he'll have some big clutch moments and he'll have some big clutch failures. Because that's what most guys do. Even the guys who are the most clutch. When you think of the most clutch players in baseball, in your lifetime, hitters, not pitchers. Who do you think of? Like Who, who do you think of as truly being clutch? Mm. I mean, we weren't really wanna, around I for Reggie s- Jackson. No, of course not. Right? But I was going to say, like, I'm thinking back to some of the Cardinals teams of like Albert Pujols. You think I, of Pujols as being clutch? Kind of, yeah. Or or Ortiz in the playoffs, right? Like those are. The, I mean, to me, David Ortiz the is the number one answer to this. To Everybody's this question, probably going right? to want to say Derek Jeter, De- and Derek Jeter should probably be on gets, here as yeah. well. Right? Those two guys but, are the two names that I would probably point to. I think David Ortiz and Derek Jeter got better in the biggest moments. They were better than everybody else, better than they were in regular moments. 
I when I think of unclutch, other than A Rod, I don't think of a lot of other guys, but A Rod certainly comes to mind. A guy who was the king of the home run down ten two. Oh, I'll hit a solo home run in the eighth. Jeez, thanks. Appreciate it, Alex. <laughs> but other than that, I think most guys kind of fall in the middle. And I, I put Julio right now into that category. But what you saw yesterday was a huge bummer, man. They had opportunities to win that game and, and didn't do it. And your margin for error is shrinking. Other texts, and, and I know these are coming. I'm psyched for them. They're average, Salk. Average. Okay. If they're average, they're in first place. Maybe they'll fall back out of first place. But I think that the people who believe that have kind of a kind of a, a, an, an unfamiliarity with the rest of the league. That you have an unreasonable expectation for what teams look like on a day-in, day-out basis. Mm-hmm. Just uh, my gut. Yeah. On the other hand, that same person just a couple of weeks ago, te- or two days ago, texted, this is a blast, pile up these wins, the Debbie Downer crowd will never be happy. Well, I don't know, man. You came back in two days later and said they're average. So maybe you want to think about whether you're in the Debbie Downer crowd as well. All right. Unfortunate for the Mariners yesterday. We'll talk through that a little bit today. It is also it is also week one. And week one of the NFL season is coming with a whole lot of question marks. Three or four of them may have been answered yesterday. I'll explain and need to know next. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, a little uh-oh, I think, after the Mariners dropped their <clears throat> second straight game and third in their last four. I think we all knew that they wouldn't be able to keep up that pace from August. But, but, it's still a little tough when it's actually happening. The bats, once again, somewhat quiet. Julio did have a couple of chances with the bases loaded. Came up in the seventh, struck out, came up again in the ninth. Jibo ready. And the 2 2 on the way to Julio. It is a fastball, strike three called, and the ball game is over. Julio disagrees with home plate umpire Marvin Hudson. And Julio is red hot. The ball game is over. The Reds win it. A final score. Of 6-3 to three this afternoon here at Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. They take game one of the three-game set. Yeah, that's certainly not what you were looking for. He could disagree with the call, but it was definitely a strike. And unfortunately, Julio, two big strikeouts and big moments. Suarez had one earlier as well. And uh, yeah, it's tough to... If you're not going to come up with the big hits and the big moments and your starting pitcher doesn't really have it, that's probably not going to be a recipe for success. And honestly, I'm a lot more concerned about the starting pitcher. That's Brian Wu. He gave up five runs. He had velocity issues. He had command issues. Not what you need. We pride ourselves in not giving up free bases. I think we're one of the best in the league at doing it. And today we were not. We gave up 10, 11 free bases today. With the hit by pitches, the walks, the errors. You can't do that. you got to play clean games. That's how you uh, win series on the road. And we did not do it today. Yeah, not wild about the way they played in general. And yet, of course, they still had those opportunities late because that's sort of what this team does. Look, they're going to go as Julio goes, which is why, unfortunately, they probably lose the game yesterday. But ultimately, you can't have three bad starts in your last four. The rotation is your superpower. That's the thing that sets you apart. Julio may be your superstar, but your starting rotation is your superpower. And if you're going to be zapped of your superpower for a week or more, that's going to end up probably costing you long term. They need this rotation 
to continue to be what it's been over the course of the season. They'll have another opportunity today as Bryce Miller gets after it with Connor Phillips on the mound, 340 first pitch in Cincinnati. Elsewhere yesterday in the playoff race, Houston destroyed Texas. Oh my gosh. Just absolutely battered them around. Toronto beats Colorado in extra innings. Mariners still tied for first place as they head into play today. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, all kinds of good news from Seahawks practice yesterday as they make their final preparations for the regular season opener on Sunday. Daryl Taylor practicing. Mike Morris practicing. Derek Hall practicing. Jackson Smith and Jigba practicing. Even Devin Witherspoon was out there in some way, which is certainly better news than what we've seen in the past. So we won't get a full injury report until tomorrow afternoon, but great to see all of those guys out there. Of them, the one that's probably most concerning is still Devin Witherspoon. John Schneider addressed it yesterday. A concern? You know, I would say that yeah, I would, I would yeah, a little bit. You know, he had, a, he had an hamstring in the spring, got himself ready to run his 40, you know, had a little bit of a setback during camp. So you know, we got to be smart with it. He's doing great. We'll see how he does this week now. But physically, I guess, because it's a hamstring, mentally, no, because he's such a tough, you know, greedy competitor. He's going to, you know, he's going to he's going to go for it. You know, if anything, we're probably going to have to govern him a little bit. That sounds uh, fairly typical. But, yeah, that's certainly concerning to hear their general manager kind of admit that that is a bit more of an issue than they thought it would be. He also went on to say that, yeah, on the Jamal Adams front, the worry about whether he would be ready did play some role into bringing love into the equation. We'll see what direction it goes when Adams is actually ready to play. Of course, the other big question for the Seahawks, we all know it. Can they stop the run? Do they have enough on the defensive line? John Schneider asked that question. Well, I think our coaches are, are excited about our group. We, you know, as people in, that are trying to trying to get a feel for the landscape right now and going over the waiver wire and all that and, you know, possible trades, we're still constantly working on it. I don't think on either side of the ball, uh, the way the, the way the league's playing out right now, the last several years, and I don't think you have enough offensive linemen or enough defensive linemen. That's not a slight on anybody that's here or on other teams. It's just the reality of it. The numbers are down over the last several years, especially on the offensive line. Uh, defensive line wise, yeah, we're we're, we're constantly uh, we're constantly looking, and uh, we won't stop. Yeah, you kind of get the sense that there was a hope there that somebody was become available for them. That somebody would get cut, somebody would get pushed out, somebody would get traded, and that they would have one more move left in them to try to bolster that defensive line. It still may come, maybe not before week one, but at some point this season. It's just hard for me to imagine that this is the defensive line that not only they'll start with, but that they will end up finishing with as well. No Derek Young. We found that out yesterday. He's going to miss at least the first four weeks of the season as he was placed on IR after hip surgery. Good news is he could return this year. Something tells me it's going to be a big Jake Bobo week in week one. I don't know. Just looking at the wide receiver landscape, they didn't bring in a veteran from the outside. Sounds like we're going to see some Bobo in week one. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, we did get our first real update on the status of Shohei Otani yesterday. His agent, Nez Baleo, spoke. Uh, Shohei's going to have a procedure, he says, uh, but he wouldn't confirm if it was Tommy John. It sure sounded like it would be Tommy John based on the fact that he says he'd be able to DH next year while he rehabs from that. But, you know, (laughs) that to me sounds like Tommy John surgery. He also said that he does plan to pitch again. So whoever signs Shohei this offseason will have one year of him as a DH 
and then in theory will return to having a pitcher and hitter after that. So we'll see what the market looks like. We'll see who trusts it. We'll see who doesn't. We'll see if it took some money off of it. We'll see if the Mariners can get themselves involved in that chase. That is everything you need to know. We do a quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. How disheartening was it for you yesterday seeing the Mariners go up against a bullpen start and not be able to beat up on some guys that Really, I mean, a couple, I think one of them had just come back in the league. It was his first time maybe actually throwing in the big since like 2016 and not do anything. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, certainly you I'm going to go through this at seven o'clock because I uh, frustrating. Yes. Okay. Concerning. No. And and I I kind of want to. Yeah, I want to go through that. That's sort of what I have planned for seven o'clock. I think that we are maybe conflating those words a little bit more than we need to. There are things that are frustrating and there are things that are concerning. Mm -hmm. And I think we sometimes have a tendency to say that one is the other, that because something is frustrating, it's concerning. Was it frustrating yesterday that the bats didn't do damage against the relievers in a great ballpark to hit in? Yes. Is it concerning? Not yet, right? Like eventually if that continues, it becomes concerning again. But I wasn't concerned because they didn't score more than three runs again yesterday. They had traffic on the bases. They had opportunities, right, in in the big moments. They had three big opportunities to get back into that game. Unfortunately, Gino struck out with men on second and third, two outs. And then we know about the two with the bases loaded for, for Julio. That, to me, is not concerning. It's super frustrating. I wanted to throw. I was watching on my phone. I wanted to throw it through something, like through the window, but I'm not concerned. Mm-hmm. I'm just frustrated. Sure. There are other things happening with the team right now that I think are somewhat concerning. And, you know, with their relievers, even with the starting rotation a little bit. And so to me, that's that's a conversation. There's a big difference between concerning and and frustrating. Yep. So that's a good uh, distinction to make. But yes, yesterday was very frustrating and not taking advantage of that Cincinnati, you know, pitching Group yesterday, that group of pitchers, absolutely infuriating. I don't know that it's concerning just yet. All right, I'll tell you what. uh, We'll get back to that at 7 o'clock. I do want to play you some Jonathan Gannon because I hope that you'll love it and uh, laugh as hard as I did. I also, uh, we spoke to Justin Topa yesterday, who's honestly, I think he's on the Good Guy Award. Seriously, the list for the Good Guy Award has to include Justin Topa. Really enjoyed this conversation. And in it, we found out that he had a job as a kid that may have even helped him become the pitcher he became. Take a listen. It's next on Brock and Salk. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, I've been looking forward to this as the uh, Mariners have run off, as we know, such a great August and now head to Cincinnati looking to take on the Reds here in the first of three later this afternoon. Justin Topa, one of the great reasons for their success this year, taking a few minutes to join us right now. Justin, good morning. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Yeah, of course. No problem. Thanks for having me on. How about about pitching in New York? I know you got a lot of family in the Northeast. What uh, What was it like on Saturday pitching in front of them? Yeah, it was awesome. Obviously, like you said, I had a bunch of family and friends in town and, you know, 25, 30 people throughout the weekend. So it was, it was pretty special. Um, you know, obviously there's ties to, to the Mets organization. I was the bat boy for the doubling Mets there for in Binghamton for a few years. So uh, it's pretty cool to uh, pitch against, the, you know, the team that I went to a lot of minor league games and, you know, being around the organization for a little bit. But, yeah, just special, you know, being back in New York and uh, 
uh, having family and friends there. You say obviously. I, I'm not sure I knew Did that I was hear part that right? of your story. Did I hear that right? You I didn't see that in the bio. Oh, of course you were. <laughs> uh, when were you the bat boy? <laughs> uh, I was from age 13 to about age 16. Um, I was there for a few years when, uh, you know, like David Wright and Jose Reyes, guys like that came through this system. Uh, it's, it's funny that, you know, I, I, once in a while I'll come across uh, a guy that played in Binghamton and I'll give him the old, hey, I don't want to make you feel old, but, <laughs> but uh, I was your bat boy, um, you know, when you came through. So, yes, yeah, so I did that for a few years. Um, still, you know, keep in touch with a few guys that actually played uh, during that time span. So it's, it was uh, pretty cool. I know how my buddy Waltier became a bat boy for the Mariners at about that same age. Uh, how did how did that happen? How did that connection happen? And, you know, we can joke about it, but how, how formative was that for you during those teenage years to watch that level of baseball? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty. Um, actually, it was very like not formal for the the fact of how I got started. Uh, my dad just happened to meet the the GM at the time. Uh, Bill Trelecki was, was there in Binghamton. Great guy. He, um, my, him and my dad got, got talking one day, and then next thing you knew, I was I was in the dugout for a few games before uh, you know before I was thirteen was the the full time age I guess you could call it that you could do it uh, for the majority of the season. So did that. Um, you know, for, like I said, for a few years, but yeah, like you said, just getting, you know, you know, being able to be in that situation and being around the guys and having that environment growing up, uh, kind of in the clubhouse at an early age was, was awesome. And, you know, it, it helped me with my development, was able to learn a lot, um, just from, you know, observing guys and guys work ethics at that point. Um, so yeah, you know, I knew I wanted to play college baseball. Uh, you know, there's aspirations to play professional baseball, but, you know, having that, it was three, four years being around those guys. It definitely helped uh, in that development. It's weird that you haven't played for the Mets, honestly, because the Mariners have <laughs> so many. It feels like over the years they have found players, especially pitchers who have had their issues playing with the Mets, come here and found it, whether it was Paul Seawald or even back to Jason Vargas back in the day. But just looking through your your story and, and how you got to where you are today, you know, you're drafted in the 33rd round, you're drafted in the 17th round, you're released by the Pirates, released by the Rangers, go to the Brewers, finally traded here. It, it must feel like like all of a sudden your entire career changed this season. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, you know, part of my story has been, been health health over the past couple of years, uh, you know, just trying to stay healthy. But, but yeah, it's definitely, uh, you know, being here is kind of, you know, giving me an opportunity to, to really show that, you know, one, I'm healthy and, and two, you know, I can uh, go out there and, and help the team win every night. So it's been, uh, it's been awesome being over here, you know, have nothing but good things to say about the organization and the staff over here. It's, you know, it's definitely helped uh, as an easy transition getting traded over here in spring training, um, you know, knowing a few of the guys coming into camp, but yeah, this year is definitely uh, kind of catapulted things and, and uh, we're just having fun here. <laughs> I'm going to guess because of some of those other spots and just connections you have with guys over the years that maybe one or two have pinged you this year and said, what is it about that place, man? Just year after year after year, you, the Mariners have, have developed pitchers, have found ways to get the very, very best. Um, Justin, especially out of bullpen guys over over the run mm-hmm. here with Scott and Jerry. And and when people from the outside kind of ping you and say, man, how is it? How, how has the development been so good there for so many years? What's your answer to that? Yeah, I think it's just uh... – almost like a simplistic, uh, you know, way that they go about things, um, you know, starting early in camp, 
know, we had our, our pitcher meetings and it was kind of like, Hey, you know, here's what you do really well. Um, you know, this is what your strengths are. So, you know, this is what we want to attack. And from that point forward, it's kind of been, um, you know, relatively, relatively simple in the fact of, you know, we're going to attack with our best stuff and best stuff. And if we get beat, you know, we get beat and, you know, you tip your cap and, um, you know, you, you go after the next pitch, but yeah, I think for me, it's really just been, you know, being healthy one, obviously, like I said, but, um, you know, guys coming in here, it's like you get that affirmation of this is what you do really well. And, uh, you know, you, you see all the analytics and stuff in baseball now and to be able to simplify all those numbers and all those scouting reports and everything, it's been, uh, it's been really cool. Well, I'm curious if they told what, what they told you you did best and then maybe if it was the same thing you thought you did best. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, there was, there was obviously some, some overlap there, but I think for me, especially it was, was learning the cutter this year. Um, you know, trying to get something that was off of my sinker and my slider, you know, both can be pretty big at times. So trying to find a middle point with that, with the cutter, um, and then throwing my change up more, uh, metrically, you know, from, you know, number standpoint, it's, it's pretty good. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what they sat down and, and, you know, how we wanted to attack lefties this year, um, was throwing that more and, Obviously, like I said, with the cutter, it kind of helped separate things a little bit. Uh, so I wasn't really a, you know, a two-dimensional guy that I've been in the past uh, with the with the sinker slider. So you know, being able to feature those those two other ones, especially like I said against lefties, has been huge to you know be slotted in different spots in the in the uh, lineup. Certainly been a consistent message with many of the pitchers when we've asked them that question. It's just simple. Throw strike one and then play to your strength. So it leads me to believe or, or wonder, do other organizations not do that? Is that not at the <laughs> forefront when you've been to other places of, of their teaching and their development game? I mean, obviously every organization has different philosophies. Um, you know, you kind of, as you, you progress in, in your career, that I've noticed that you know, you put a lot of external pressure on, on yourself um, and you kind of get away from the, uh, the, the obvious things, right. You know, getting, you know, a first pitch strike and, you know, trying to stay ahead in account and, and making good pitches and, you know, things can snowball at times. And I think that, you know, I'm definitely a, a culprit of that in the past, um, you know, getting behind guys. The next thing you know, you have to make a pitch and you, you miss your spot by a little bit. You think it's a good pitch, but you know, it gets, it gets hit. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, here it's just been so simplistic in the in the thought process, and um, you know we just attack when we attack, and, and uh, more often than not, it's been successful. Talking to Justin Topa here on Seattle Sports, how did your life change about a month ago when you guys all found out that Paul had been traded? <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously Paul's Paul was a big uh, big part of the bullpen, and um, you yeah, know he's a great guy. You know, his family is great. Uh, we got really close here over the past couple of months and, um, you know, the group of us down there definitely missing, but, you know, at the same time, it's been a great opportunity for everybody else. Right. You know, at, at the beginning part of there, you know, we knew that once it got to the ninth, it was Paul's time. <laughs> um, but so now, you know, now that Paul, uh, Paul's in Arizona and, um, you know, seeing everybody else get, you know, thrown into situations that we might not be comfortable in, um, you know, whether it be pitching eighth, ninth, tenth inning, you know, those leverage innings that, um, you know, might have been Paul's spot there for a little bit. Um, you know, it's been awesome just to see everybody get that opportunity and, and have success. How's the body feel? Twenty six games to go, one hundred thirty six in. <laughs> no, it, it feels good. Um, you know, like I said, my my thing has been been health over the years, and, and uh, you know, even with that being hurt, uh, it's been 
given me a lot of time to figure out my body and, and figure out what I need from a recovery standpoint and, and keep things going. And I think that, you know, everybody here does a great job from the uh, you know, medical staff and training staff and training conditioning staff that, um, you know, it's, everybody's on top of everything. And, and I think overall, everybody's feeling pretty good and, and ready to go down the stretch. All right, here's the important question I've been waiting to ask you. You sit out there nine innings most days with Taylor Sacedo. What's that? What's he like <laughs> over the course of nine innings in the pen? Uh, you never know what's coming out of his mouth. Um, yeah, he's, he has fun down there. And it's it's funny. I think, you know, the majority of the time we're laughing. Uh, it's It's from something that he said or a story that he, uh, he has, he, he's explaining and it's funny that it seems like anytime he gets down there, he has a different story from something that happened to him, you know, whether it be <laughs> walking to breakfast or, or, or what, what have you. Are but, they all true? No, we, I mean, from what I've heard. Yeah. I mean, we always <laughs> joke that we need to put like a GoPro on him just to get some confirmation, um, on some of these things, but, <laughs> but no, he, he definitely keeps it loose down there. And, uh, you know, just as a group down there, it's it's been fun. Uh, you know, we kind of we all uh, we all have blended very well. And obviously, when guys step in, you know, like like getting Luke Weaver and um, Dom Leon, you know, the past week or so with those guys has been awesome. And their experience down there has been uh, very instrumental in, in the success we've had recently. If you want a, a good conversation starter with him today, maybe where he doesn't lead the conversation, Justin, ask us sauce about the Puyallup Fair. Say, hey, hey, man, do you ever, uh, Spanaway kid, do you, you ever hit the Puyallup Fair growing up? And it might just get a diatribe oh, like you've, yeah, the Puyallup Fair. You, he might have stories okay. for, for days on that one. Hey, last thing for me, give us a little scouting report of the team you're going to face today, this Reds team over the next three in a band box that they get to play in. Uh, from your perspective, what uh, what is the plan of attack against a, a Reds team that's in a playoff hunt, much like you guys? Yeah, no, definitely a good team over there, um, you know, they they're young they're they're aggressive they're you know they're wanting to prove that that they're uh you know they're making a push there in the central um you know they got from top to bottom one through nine you know everybody can swing it and they got good pitching staff i know that they're battling a little bit of injuries right now but um i think for us it's just sticking to our game and you know from pitching standpoint is getting strike one and, and attacking them and you know going out there with our strengths and and from uh from an offensive defense standpoint, it's just, just trying you know, keep things rolling. Obviously, we went through a stretch there where everything is cl- clicking in, in August. So we're, uh, you know, we're not far from that. And, you know, obviously the last couple of games in New York, um, you know, didn't go our way, you know, with the series, you know, losing the series there. But um, I think that we're in a good spot to, to really make an impact this series and, and get things back on track. You know, your pocket for the Scott's always telling us about pockets, you know, your pocket for Cincinnati. <laughs> Uh, not yet. We'll find out here in uh, in a couple hours when we have our reliever meetings. But uh, I kind of have an idea. Obviously, going into it, faced a, a handful of guys um, in that lineup before. Obviously, playing in the Central when I was with the Brewers. But uh, yeah, just trying to uh, go out there in, in any situation and, and make good pitches and uh, and try to put up a zero. Well, I hear it's a pitcher's paradise there in Cincinnati. <laughs> Truly, one of the great places to pitch. What with the ball flying out of there left and right. But hey, Justin, we really appreciate it, and and thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. It's interesting. Especially Especially to hear you talk about Seawald being traded and some of the closeness that you guys had, I I think you're, I'm probably not alone in in seeing that you remind me of of Paul both on the mound and sort of personality wise. So it's been really great to watch the development this year. Thank you so much and uh, continued success. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I enjoy that. Uh, he's a he's a character, and and one thing I notice on re-listening to that, and I thought I heard it yesterday, 
And then hearing it again today, I I think I kind of come to the same conclusion. I don't think, just based on the way he sort of mentions being injured, right? Like, oh, health is a big part of my story. I don't think he wants to be included in the same category of guys who were sort of discovered by the Mariners and turned into good pitchers. Like he, like he wasn't very, very good before. Right. And the Mariners unearthed it. Exactly. I think <laughs> yeah. he feels more like, no, I've always been pretty good. I've just been hurt. Yeah, I got hurt a lot. They, they Credit to them, and they've helped, and they've... But don't put me in the same category as guys who were maybe struggling and then found new life here in Seattle. Put me in the category of guys who were hurt. And then found new life here. Yeah, in or, or else he probably would have said, "When I got here, they changed my arm angle, right. and they had me throw at the top of the zone, yep. or something like that." And, and he did. said there were some things, but there was also quite a bit of crossover there between the two. So, mm-hmm. by the way, I kind of love that. I kind of love that attitude, right? I, I've been saying for a little while now that a he does remind me a little bit of Seawald, not so much the stuff, and b that I think he may have the right personality, et cetera, to sort of be your ninth inning guy. Uh, partially because it allows Topa, it allows uh, Munoz and 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 Brash to just stay in the roles they were in before, which I thought were working incredibly well. Let Matt Brash come in and in whatever inning it is that you need to get out of trouble. Maybe it's the sixth, maybe it's the seventh, whatever. Bring him in with a couple of men on and two outs or one out or whatever, and get out of the problem. He's great at that. He's got a ridiculous strikeout rate. Let Andres Munoz continue to take some of those tough pockets in the eighth or the ninth, depending on where they are. And if it's a a game that can be closed out, let Topa do that. I think he's got some of the mentality to it or for it. And uh, I, I like his stuff. I like that he moves the ball in both directions. I like that he can go after both righties and lefties, et cetera. I uh, I'm definitely a fan. So nice to talk to him yesterday and uh, continue. Good luck to Justin Topa. Hopefully we'll uh, need to see him tonight because usually you only see him when the Mariners are winning. And uh, obviously yesterday they didn't have that problem. So today is uh, I just looked it up. Sorry, I'm stalling now. Phillips, I think is his name. Connor Phillips. Connor Phillips. Yes. 22 year old making his MLB debut. Well, and you never know where those are going to go, right? Sometimes it's a Brian Wu situation where the dude's not quite ready for prime time yet. And sometimes it is you know, you see somebody you've never seen before and you're just completely baffled because they've got good stuff like most young pitchers do. You just haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. So, yeah, always a little concerning when you're taking on somebody who's making their major league debut. Uh, all right, I promised that I would have a little bit of fun with this. Uh, let's play some just because I want you guys to know. I want you guys to understand what's out there. And then uh, we'll come back to the Mariners at 7 o'clock. we got a ton of Seahawks stuff today as well. Steve Weish is going to join us uh, from NFL Network at 7.30. And then, of course, we've got Jeff Passan at 8.30 today. We'll talk about his beloved Rangers. Um, anyway, Jonathan Gannon is the <coughs> head coach. I almost have to cough before I say it, partially because I've been coughing this morning and partially because I think it deserves it. Yeah, Jonathan Gannon <laughs> was, what, the offensive coordinator for the Eagles last defensive. year? Yeah. Defensive coordinator, uh-huh. excuse me. Defensive coordinator for the Eagles. And I think he was even somewhat of a uh, polarizing figure in Philadelphia. They obviously had a very good defense, made it all the way to the Super Bowl. But I think he was always sort of a polarizing figure there, and I never really understood why. Until he opened up his mouth and started talking when he was first introduced as the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. And we heard some of those silly sound effects, right? And he's telling Kyler Murray, shots, shots. Ridiculous. Does not sound in any way like an NFL head coach. And by the way, 
I'm very open-minded to what an NFL head coach can be. Honestly, probably too open-minded. When Mark Tressman was hired to be the coach of the Bears, I thought it was brilliant. Hey, look at this. They're going outside the box. They're hiring somebody who's been up in Canada. He's going to bring a completely different view to it. Didn't work at all. But I was open-minded to it. Ah, uh, the pouty Jay Cutler oh, era. One bad, yes. Bad well, I year. was never a Jay Cutler guy, but I was I was a Mark Tressman guy. It didn't work out. I tried to console the Denver Bronco fans when I was in Colorado. Like, <laughs> it's really going to be okay. He's not that good. No, he's they not good at all. They were miserable when he left. Oh, he's terrible. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, the other one was, uh, oh, you know who else I was open-minded about? Sean McVay. Everybody was crushing Sean McVay for being too young. And I was like, meh. Theo Epstein was 27 when he took over the Red Sox. Like, youth is a, you can't get mad at youth. You can't you can't be closed-minded towards youth. If you've got the right talents and you've got the right ability to do it, you, you can't worry about youth. It, it is what it is. And obviously, he's been one of the better coaches in the league. So I am generally pretty open-minded. I'm not open-minded about Jonathan Gannon because I, I you can't sound like that and lead anybody, let alone NFL players. And when you watch the clip of him talking here, and I'll play it for you, you can see the players in the room like, who is this guy? This isn't the leader. Welcome back. Who drove over here? <laughs> Quick, let me see your hands. Who took the bus? Did you have fire in your gut? Did you? We're here for a reason. Don't get that twisted. Okay, we're here for a reason to win games. So if you didn't have that fire in your gut, you better light the fire pretty fast. Be who you are. Just understand, I'm looking for killers. I don't think that would work on a group of Boy Scouts, much less NFL uh, athletes. Like, none of the content makes sense. But even if it did, he doesn't pause in the right places. He doesn't right. build to it correctly. <laughs> it's just. Well, and then, as you said yesterday, they're all non sequiturs, which is great. None of those things have anything to do with each other. Yeah. Right. Who took the bus to work? You got that fire in your gut? Like what? <laughs> Why are those two things connected? I'm I'm upset with the amount of time I spent last night watching that flight plan oh, on YouTube. I'm just so to glad see you did. They tried get. to put that on me. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, oh. Justin. We're gonna get to why here in just a second. I spent a while yesterday trying to figure out how he was gonna light that fire in your gut, right? Whether you're using the pilot light, turn it on. I went through all the details of how to turn on a pilot light. Yep. You gotta check your furnace. You gotta make sure it's collect connected to the electricity or the gas. <laughs> your pilot light may have gone I, out from a draft I, so you want to go ahead and check that and see whether or not it's working and if it's you know, not then you're going to want to take a lighter you're going to want to light that thing now you want to turn it to ignite you don't want it to be on off you got to turn it to pilot or on before you start the pilot light now that i've watched it and listened to it enough times i could take myself away from it because of how absurd it is he kind of reminds me of a kirk cousins was a coach uh interesting like he doesn't really have that but hmm. there's something endearing Flight, about kirk like, cousins there's nothing endearing about no, this guy there is now if you can smell the gas don't <laughs> turn on the pilot light if you smell gas, I want you to get out of the house immediately. I mean, when other it, than that, I need people to light their pilot. I need stone cold bleeping killers. One of the best defenses in the league, and you go to the Super Bowl, and they want you out of there. Yes. That's, why would another, another team even? It's not a good sign. Well, because they're tanking, obviously. <laughs> anyway, we uh, thought that with all of the questions Jonathan Gannon was asking, uh, it brought back an old friend of the show, uh, certainly of Justin's, oh, Jonathan, Jonathan Frakes. Frakes. And so uh, we thought we'd play a quick little game here. Is it Jonathan Gannon? <laughs> 
Or is it Jonathan Frakes? Do you want to set up Jonathan Frakes? No, he's just a guy who asks a lot of questions. Have you ever had the desire to write your initials in wet cement? Called a plumber to your home lately? Who who drove over here? How much money would it take to make you spend a night in a cemetery? Do you have a pet? Here we go. What time is it? Can you remember the tallest man you've ever seen? Wait, let me see your hands. Who took the bus? Do you love to go a-wandering beneath a clear blue sky? (laughs) Did you have fire in your gut? Have you noticed what big stars real estate agents have become? Did you? Does your computer ever seem to have a mind of its own? You understand? Have you ever visited a Chinatown section in a major city? What do you want your team to look like? Have you noticed how many successful restaurants are theme-based these days? Just understand, I'm looking for killers. Or we're going to get waxed. Understand? (laughs) Understand? Understand? (laughs) Understand? Oh, Jonathan Frakes. The first time we got into that Jonathan Frakes stuff, it's from some weird show called Beyond Belief back Mm -hmm. in the day. you made me cry. Like it was, I, I, I just was dying so funny. Like, the most random questions <laughs> in the entire world. It, it truly is hysterically funny. I wish but, I got to watch that show when it came out because it looks like it was probably very funny. You think so? Was yeah. it supposed to be funny? No. Right. I think it's a mysteries thing. I don't think it was supposed to be well, funny at all. Kind of like Unsolved Mysteries, except for at the end of the show, you had to decide whether they just Which made it up was or real. it was real. Oh, yeah. Some okay. of them were real and some weren't. You ever notice? Cardinals are like, is this a real head coach? You ever notice? <laughs> <laughs> is this for real, this Jonathan Gannon guy, or is this a complete Why joke? Why are you filming? <laughs> Text messages coming in. Did you do the dishes today? Did you take the water taxi to West Seattle? You got that fire in your gut? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Nellis says you have too much spice in your pilot light instructions, though. I do. You got to get way more boring if you want to be like Jonathan Cannon. Well, no, because I think he's trying for tough guy, but he. I appreciate it, Andrew, but I think he's trying for tough guy, but doing it with with phrases that are not particularly interesting. And I watched, like I said, enough of that show to be fully and completely turned away as a leader of men. <laughs> So it was not just describe. that clip that no, we're taking out no. of context. It's if you okay. can't find the ignition button, check the instruction sticker on your furnace. It's bad. Maybe it's on the owner's manual. The ignition button will usually have a small red <laughs> button next to it. I want you to press the small button while you press the electric ignition. The pilot light should light. But keep holding the small button down for about a minute. If you smell gas, run away. Brock Heward's in next. It's Brock and Salk. Sales Sports on 710.